You are listening to The Real Men Feel Show with your hosts, Andy Grant and Apio Hunter. Real Men Feel is all about encouraging men to allow and express all of their emotions. Despite what you may have been taught, all emotions do serve you. Real Men Feel is committed to opening up discussions that most men aren't having, but you certainly don't need to be a man to join us. The Real Men Feel podcast is produced live every Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern for your growth and enjoyment. You can find more information about the Real Men Feel movement at realmenfeel.org. Come back often and feel free to add the podcast to your favorite RSS feed or subscribe on iTunes by visiting realmenfeel.org slash iTunes. You can also follow us on Twitter at realmenfeel.org and at facebook.com slash realmenfeelshow. All links mentioned in each episode are in the show notes found on the blog at realmenfeel.org. This is a weekly program, and your comments, feedback, and participation are welcome during the live show and anytime in the Facebook group, on Twitter, or at realmenfeel.org. Now, let's get into this week's show. Hello, good people of Earth, and welcome to Real Men Feel. I am Andy Grant. I'm a transformation coach, author, and speaker. And tonight, I'm your beloved host of episode 54 of the Real Men Feel podcast. You can learn about future and past shows by visiting realmenfeel.org. And you can also take advantage of a new offer there to take a, uh, have a complimentary clarity call with me. Like not an episode of the show, but actually a one-on-one conversation with me to help you out of your uh, manly ruts, if you will. <laughs> Whatever's going on for you, glad to talk and explore it. But before you rush off to do that, let me introduce my friend, my fellow coach, and co-host of this show, Mr. Apio Hunter. Hey, hey, Andy. How's it going? Very good. How are you today? I'm doing really, really good. You know, it's been a kind of a crazy day with lots of contrasts and lots of good moments. And, you know, whenever, every Tuesday when we do this, it's always a highlight of my day. So it's like the cherry on the top of the fantastic cake. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Sometimes I get like, so like I, I was uh, busy all weekend. I was in a six hour class on Sunday. So it just throws off what day of the week is it? And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, Oh, it's too, oh, good. The show's tonight. Yay. Uh, <laughs> exactly. The phone ringing. Yay. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, you know, tonight I think we're going to have this really cool, interesting, wide ranging discussion on rituals and ceremonies and rites of passage and ways to create better men and and have a healthier sense of masculinity uh, really for for all people for all ages and that's because we're being joined by the founder of journeyman and wilderness guide nikki wilkes hey guys thank you so much for having me it's our pleasure man um so we connected on Facebook, and I know you're up in, uh, you're out in Washington State, and you're on an island, kind of the middle of nowhere. Is that fairly <laughs> accurate? The middle of nowhere and the center of everything is the way I like to look at it. <laughs> that is a beautiful way to look at it. I like that. Yeah. Cool. So we were chatting a little bit before, and, and kind of my favorite way to have a guest, my favorite show to unfold, is to have a, a man kind of share their own journey. So I, I'd love if you could share your journey to journeymen. Yeah, Absolutely. Beautiful. Um, rather than say my whole life story, I can actually just do the man journey because that's a lot shorter. And uh, <laughs> I haven't been a man for that long in my own judgment. So um, I'll rewind a few years to like uh, my age 24. So I'm 28 now. Um, I was about to finish my master's degree. I was getting an MBA at a private college in Southern California. Um, big social network 
was in a very extroverted phase of my life. Um, had a beautiful girlfriend, had, you know, a job that was a good career path that was, you know, stable and, and probably going to be lucrative someday, even though at the time it wasn't. Um, and I was really unhappy, like just rotting away on the inside. And um, I ended up meeting my current partner now. Um, she was a student at the college that I was um, also attending and we dated for a while and we got pregnant. And I remember like thinking, okay, we'll just take care of this. You know, we don't want to be parents. We're not in a committed relationship. You know, we'll just, we'll, we'll go and get an abortion and then we'll figure it out. And uh, she was 19 at the time. And I remember so clearly just having that first conversation with her and she was like, well, I don't want to get an abortion. And it was her first year in college. I remember just being like, what? Like, what, what do you mean you don't want to get an abortion? You want to be a mom? And she was like, I don't know yet, but I want to feel it out. And this is, this is like my first run in with a divine feminine presence, like listening to her intuition of like not being so caught up in their head about what was the right decision or what society says is right, but just being willing to like feel from the inside and, and use like the heart compass to make decisions. And I was so afraid of that. I was like, oh my God, like, you know, I, I, I can translate or channel some like a 16th century and be like, there's the devil in this woman. Like, this is, this is bad. This is bad. all bad. Um, need to find a way out. Right. And I was like searching for ways out. And as time went on, um, we even, we even did like the pros and the cons. I don't, I don't know if you guys ever do these, these like little columns of pros and cons of each decision. Mm -hmm. So we had abortion, adoption and uh, being parents and, you know, comparing those was not comparing. It was actually just contrasting because they were so polar opposite. Um, but, uh, it was clear that like, she was just so interested and willing to feel into what it meant to be a mom at a young age. And as time went on, she was being more and more pregnant and just more and more confident that that's what she wanted. And I headed for the exit. I was like, I'm out. Like, I don't want to be intimate with you anymore. I don't want this life. I didn't choose it. That was a story in my head, right? I didn't choose this. That was an easy one. Um, which is hilarious now to think about. And we just navigated this process of not being together, and, but she was pregnant. And I was like, all right, I'm going to be like the supportive uncle to this. Like, just, I'm going to be, be behind the scenes helping and not really be present. That was kind of the story that I was leaning on at the time. And as time went on, we started doing pregnancy class together. That was something that I was willing to commit to, to be her birth coach. And uh, I mean, over time, I just started to fall in love with her. Like it was quite clear, like how, um, how curious my soul was like my, my inner being, uh, was curious about what it meant to be listened to and to be able to be intuitive. And so our journey together really started once I started committing to the pregnancy together. Um, I really felt like those, those moments for me were stepping into manhood for the first time. And then I still remember, actually, I was partying all the time, like late in the pregnancy, I was still trying to check out in a way and just not really experiencing the emotions that were present with me. And uh, I was at Coachella, which is this massive music festival in Southern California. And I didn't sleep for three days, like just didn't even go to sleep for three days. And at the end of the festival, I drove, I had an, we had an appointment for the ultrasound and it was my first time being present for the ultrasound. And I don't know if you're aware now they have 3d ultrasound, which is basically like you're just viewing the child almost. It's really 
mind blowing. And uh, I remember looking at that screen and seeing my son for the first time and he looked like me and I just lost it. I just, I mean, I'm sure the ultrasound techs are used to people crying, but I was like the uncorked champagne bottle from years of shaking uh, and never having had a release like that. And it just all came out in that room. And I really feel like that was like my threshold time. Like that was like this moment when I was like, all right, cool. I'm not the uncle, I'm a dad. And what is that going to look like? So the journey really started then and it was really rapid for a long time. Um, I got involved with some shamanic plant medicine work um, originating out of Gabon, West Africa. There's a medicine called Iboga that is a sometimes kind of put up there with like ayahuasca for folks that use it for healing. Um, and I studied as an apprentice with a, with the wife of a 10th generation Bwiti shaman. And I was immersed in this world of mystery and shamanic work and especially like really powerful plant medicines. And so my experience with the medicine basically gave me domain over my body. Um, I stopped eating crap food. Like I just really committed to being a whole person and that started in the physical piece. So the progression with the medicine kind of matches um, most people who work with it, which is like just focus on the physical. Once that's pretty solid, then you can kind of move into this mental intellectual realm and take care of like thought patterns and beliefs and a lot of uh, cleanup that needs there. And then eventually you get to this like really liberated place of being able to experience like spiritual bliss and going to visit ancestors or future places or stars or wherever that is. And it's really fun. And um, my, my, my work was really, in my opinion, about like getting healthy and not realizing how much I was bogging myself down by not feeding myself well, or just relationships to really toxic relationships that I had in my life. Um, so we moved to Costa Rica for a year. We were facilitating a lot of uh, the shamanic work down there. And after I think it was about after seven months down there, my partner, she decided that she wanted to be a midwife. Um, she had such a positive transformational experience through birth that she was like, this is what I want to do with my life. So we started making moves back to the US, um, California for a year, and then back up to my hometown of Vashon. And my work cemented, I've been coaching youth, youth sports and working with kids as an admission counselor in their prep to college, really focusing on like the teenager years, not intentionally, I've just always gravitated towards that year, like puberty, all the changes and transitions that occur during that time. And feeling like for me, that was such a dark period, like, oh my God, I had no support, I had no mentors, I had really shit, like ideal ideologies coming at me from the media and from society about what it meant to be a man. And unfortunately, I was really good at pretending like that was me. Um, I was, you know, I could play that game really well. And so my delayed adolescence lasted a long time. Like I, you know, I'd started the story at 24 and, you know, unfortunately I didn't really have to become a man at the age where I could have, because I decided, and I was able to play the game. I had some of the privileges that allowed me to go through the motions of society's idea of manhood um, and extend my adolescence because of that. So uh, this work with journeyman has really cemented through the past year um, and really has been the culmination of a lifelong experience and, and path of working with youth in different forums and different arenas. And, you know, my upbringing on Vash, on growing up in nature, having led wilderness programs and outdoor school stuff before being like, I need to marry these two. I need to marry the work that I'm doing with kids with nature and do it in a way that's unique for us. 
um, and ask the question, what's not being served right now? And it's pretty clear adolescent boys don't have the support that they need to become well-rounded young men. Um, and this is not to say that young women don't also need support, um, but this is really just to recognize that, um, especially with young men, uh, suicide rates are four times higher. Um, Ninety-something percent of violent crime is committed by young men. Almost all sexual violence is committed by young men. Um, and we have the opportunity to heal and to you know, engage this population in a great way simply by showing up. It's the most beautiful part of this work is like mentorship is 95% showing up authentically and the other 5% is just choosing to do it again the next time. Um, and so it's wonderful, like stepping into this really, it's, I've had to face a lot of my own shadows of, oh, you're not good enough or, you know, you need more training or whatever, this, yeah. you know, I'm sure we all have those voices that critic wants to come out and make us small. And I've also never been so supported. You know, I'm back like literally on the Island I was born on. I was born two miles away from here. And you know, I have a lot of people coming up to me and, you know, looking at me right in the eye and being like, thank you, because somebody needed to do this. And I would do it if I had never had that conversation. And the amount of conversations that I've had that have had me feel like that um, are uncountable at this point. And we're only like a year in. We've, you know, we incorporated, I think, last June or something like that. So our first programs are coming up this summer. Um, and actually, we have April events in a couple of weeks. We're bringing over author and speaker, Dr. Arna Rubenstein. He wrote a book called The Making of Men. Um, so part of that shadow that I mentioned was like not knowing how to ask for help. The, like, I'm not good enough, so I'll just do it all myself. Part of the man code, the man box, right? I can do it all myself. I got it. And uh, once I broke through that, I was like, all right, I'm going to reach out to some people who are way out of my league right now and just ask for help. And Arna was one of those guys. So I reached out. And I was like, hey, you want to be on a podcast? And he responded by being like, yeah, but let's do more than that. And he's like, let's hop on a Skype call. So we did. And he offered to mentor us through the process of starting an organization to do Boys Rights of Passage because he's been doing this for 25 years. And he's like, it sucks at first, man nobody knows what you're doing and you have to not only educate people, but you also have to, you know, grow enough trust in an, in a community to have them hand over their children to you and do things that they innately don't understand and may never understand. Like that's a tall order for a lot of folks. So he offered to mentor us. And then he's like, how about this, mate? He's like, how about I fly all the way over there to Seattle and we'll run some programs together. And I was like, really? Yeah, let's do that. Oh, that's, so, that's, that's amazing that you've got that, that connection, that pull to, to connect with your, your, so I think you showed up even more than 95% to, to make that connection happen, right? I think I do. Yeah. yeah cool. So in April, um, and it's April now, I got to get used to that. Yes. In a couple of weeks, Dr. Arna will be here. Um, we got sponsored by Seattle University's Department of Psychology. There was another big ask reaching out to the number two school in Seattle and being like, Hey, can you sponsor us? We're bringing over a speaker and we'd love to do it at Seattle U. So they said yes. And they're hosting us, which means we don't have to pay. We're getting their biggest auditorium, which is like a 400 person giant auditorium. And uh, that's going to be where Dr. Arn is going to deliver a lecture called parenting technology and modern rites of passage. And then he's doing a training program the following weekend and this father son event where we're going to bring dads and their boys to come and, develop this really strong bonding experience together. And that's how Arna does his programs. It's usually boys and their dads or a male mentor um, that accompany the boys on their programs. Cool. And it wasn't part of our program design and we're super stoked because, you know, I, I 
I've heard that the dynamic that he creates in his programs is super powerful and who better to have as a supporter than pops, right? You got, you go home, like yeah. you actually have someone there to like understand and support you in this work. Right. So we're really, that's, that's, so that's amazing. You, I, you'd want to explore being a master manifester the way you're uh, getting everything rolling and all the support you want, it shows up even more so. That, that's fantastic, man. Yeah. yeah. What I think is really amazing is, is the fact that you've been talking about mentorship so much. And today at my company, we actually just kicked off a mentorship program. Mm-hmm. And I'm a member of the committee that's been helping put together the whole mentorship program and so forth. So I think it's a perfect, perfect theme for, for the day today to talk about that. And I'm a, I, I, I am curious about one thing, and that is, you know, in the studies that you've been reading and so forth, how much of the, of the propensity that young men have toward either committing sexual violence or, or committing suicide and so forth, is it across all... Uh, all cultural and racial um, boundaries? Because I know that sometimes there are people who have this perception that you know, young men who are more likely to engage in, in you know, crime and, and so forth come from certain disadvantaged backgrounds. And so I'm wondering if, if it, in, in your readings and in your studies, if you came across any indicators, whether it's just across all, all, all groups or does it kind of fit into the quote-unquote stereotype of the disadvantaged young man from a from disadvantaged racial group? Yeah, that's a great question. So this term, for folks who work with youth, this term at risk comes up a lot. And it's a sensitive term because when you talk to youth or you're working with them, nobody wants to self-identify into this category. They'll say, I'm not at risk. Like No one wants to be in that, in that group. So it's challenging. And Um, and you know, something I also like to say is without real connection, everybody is at risk. Mm -hmm. There's no, there's no indicator that says, Oh, well, you're at risk because of this thing. Like we know about oppression, we know about socioeconomic status, and we know that, you know, it's, it's harder to be a person of color in the United States. And, um, if you don't fit the gender binary, these are all truths. And, you know, we get to hear these experiences. And in working with young men, what we see is that certain types of crime are committed by folks, you know, who are doing things to survive, like theft or, you know, different things like they, they quite literally, their way of life depends on being able to get by and crime is one way to do that. Um, But then there's other crime that's committed by folks at the other side of the socioeconomic spectrum. And this fits into like mischief or just risk taking. And this was probably more me. I mean, I didn't grow up wealthy by any means, but I had loving parents and I had everything that I needed. And my friends and I were just doing stupid shit all the time. I mean, we were like bored and like we were craving that like, oh man, it's extreme something, you know, like we need to mix it up. And that's what we see is we see that, you know, that cultivation of the risk factor that um, everyone, but especially young men who are flooded with testosterone through puberty are really seeking out. And um, so what we see crime is kind of, you know, it's, more prevalent at the, you know, uh, more impoverished levels, socioeconomic status and different inner city groups, but it's different crime that we see at all stages. And then suicide is actually very interesting to look at because it's now spiking at the ultra affluent side of the spectrum, which is like kids um, who might have parents who work in the tech industry and they're working like eight, eight hours a week and they make tons of money and they have all the material things that anyone would ever want but they have no connection with their parents. They have like, their dad is not a dad. He's like a ghost. You know, he's just this person mm-hmm. who goes to work and makes money. He's not an actual human in their lives. And so um, 
there's a lot of shockwaves going through some of the communities that are asking the question like, whoa, hey, hold on a second. Like I thought we were doing everything right here. Why are our children suffering and why are they feeling like they need to check out of this life? Um, so that connection piece comes up and the statistics are, you know, I think they're worth looking at because they can tell part of the story. And for me, what really keeps drawing me into this work is just actually hearing the stories of people who on the outside, they might look like they have it all figured out, you know, and then we work with them for a while, you get them in circle and all of a sudden they open up and they're like, I don't have anyone that I can talk to. Nobody knows what's going on with me. And, you know, on the flip side, um, there's folks who have to wear all of that on the outside. You know, they, they live in a community or they have a way of life or, you know, they're, they have to be so tough or they have to show up with their wholeness all the time. Their wounds are showing, right? And so, you know, they still need work and they still need help, but it's different working with those populations as well because it's obvious, you know, it's obvious what's going on and reaching some of those folks can be easier. And then handling that, uh, handling that as a mentor um, obviously requires a lot of support uh, as well. Yeah, yeah. it's fine. Like no, nobody has it figured out. And when you get that first person to admit it in a group, any in a circle, like, oh, good, now I have permission to drop the act that I've been carrying. And and again, across the social network range, across the range of everything, the range of act is yeah. is different as well. You know, th th there's another term that was mentioned often, and I'd love to see if you have a, a, a an official definition, a personal definition. But you know, wh what what do you mean by a rite of passage? Yeah. My understanding of a rite of passage is an intentional act or ceremony that celebrates or marks uh, a major life transition. And so the one that we focus on is really the youth to adult rite of passage, becoming a man, you know, adolescent to adult kind of transition, stepping into young adulthood. Um, and there's other really meaningful ones too. So I just to kind of speak from something that's on my heart. You know, my son is going to turn four in June. And we really want to hold an intentional rite of passage for him stepping into childhood because, you know, this end of being a toddler and being super dependent on parents is kind of sad for us as parents. And it's kind of awesome. I'm like, man, you can poop by yourself now. Like this is <laughs> amazing. Right? And there's also this part of like, Oh, but you don't need me all the time. And so, um, you know, traditional cultures, they, a lot of them, they celebrate many rites of passage. It's not just like, Oh, you're becoming a man. That's a big one. It's probably the most important in a lot of cultures. But there's also becoming a child, you know, departing from the mother a lot of the time, but departing from the parents as a total dependent. And a lot of time that's called, um, excuse me, right, uh, right of competency is one way of um, mm. naming that or, or a naming ceremony, actually a, a naming right where they actually claim a name. So some cultures would actually allow young folks to choose their own name at that time. Their parents may have given a name and they can be like, yeah, whatever, like I want my own name and they'll choose it or they can crystallize the name that their parents gave them. So we gave our son the option and he was like, oh, I love my name, I'm Maverick Truman Wilkes. And he like <laughs> owns it, you know, and we're like, yeah, great, you own it, that's yours. Cool. Um, so is, yeah. is it in your, so in your prior experience as a youth worker and coach and, and mentor and, and with Journeyman, is, is it that missing the ceremony, missing these rites, missing these marks of, of transition and celebration and, honoring the past and looking forward, is that a big part of like what's wrong, why people act out, why people don't know, you know, who the heck they are? I think it's a big part. And I wanted, I also want to speak to my opinion is that it's not everything. So I think some, some of the, um, some of the conversation around this floats around the curiosity about like, well, is that all we need to do is do a rite of passage and then we're done. Yeah. 
you know? And I think we all know that the answer is no. It's not just like the idea that, you know, you turn 18, all of a sudden you're just an adult, like, oh, I got my license. Now I'm a responsible driver. No, like that doesn't work like that. Um, the work, you know, I like to say the work takes place every day. It's not, it's not just like the idea that you're a one-shot wonder and you get to be done with your work because of this ceremony. But from my experience, um, both personal journey and also as a facilitator, is that if a, if a right is done correctly, and I say correctly in that it's self-generated and it's meaningful for the person going through it, that's the most important thing. One of my teachers, Darcy Gotti, who's been doing this way longer than me, she says the most important thing about a rite of passage is that the person undergoing the rite of passage thinks it's meaningful. It's meaningful for them. Right. Nothing else. Right. You can't be that. told, that, go through this car wash. It's a rite of passage and come out as a man or as whatever you think, a Cadillac, whatever they're telling you it is. It just, it's got to right. be inward too. Yeah. It's got to be inward. Yeah. So for something that comes, you know, through the person it's self generated or it's generated from the person's community, um, it's going to have, have a lasting impact. And the impact for me is that when I'm in those rough parts of life, when I'm like, Oh God, you know, like this is not what I want or feeling frustrated, feeling like I'm just um, in a shadow pace, like in a dark spot. I can call on the, like my power place is what I call it. The, the location of my vision quest is a place in nature and it's a spiritual and emotional place too. I can call on that in those moments of feeling down or feeling weak and summon like my wholeness, summon my integrated self to show up when I need it. And I don't, I don't know how else to explain that um, in a way that might make sense for someone, but it's kind of like having access to a superhero version of yourself and being like, yo, I have Nikki right now and he's going to show up because this version of me is struggling right now. Yeah. So I'm going to trade places and we're going to get this done. And that's the most beautiful thing is that we get to experience ourselves, you know, through this rite of passage in the threshold time. So I like to call that the sacred space. And if that's really meaningful, if it's self-generated, that's something that lasts a lifetime because it's uniquely you. And it's something that you created specifically for the reason of supporting yourself through the rest of your life. Yeah. So in my experience at times, not having that, or I've, I've definitely created some rites of, passage that uh kind of can be pain driven can be curiosity driven but i also see you know i have i have other friends that definitely like like avoid all those sort of things so i, I guess that's where it shows up that it's you know to have society help make one or have markers or uh, organizations like journeyman or the mankind project in ways for for guys that know something's missing i need to seek what my culture my family society didn't give me Mm -hmm. right. So, but, so I love, cause you, you're really working with some, some young aged, aged males, right? Yeah. So we, we, we actually just say we're open to teens. So 13 to 19 is open. I do meet folks who are 13 who I feel like are ready to start this journey and it's rare. Um, and then again, I, like I, I needed this at 19. I needed this at 24. So we say teen boys and we like to have conversations and to see if there is a readiness and if it's the right moment to be, to be marking that for a participant. Cool. And what help, what are you looking for? What, what identifies someone as, as being ready for, for the work that you help with? That's a great question. Um, it depends. So <laughs> I like to think of things on a spectrum, like a polarities, right? So the, the projected form of readiness uh, in a way might look like, you know, they're shouting at their mom all the time. They won't listen to anything. Just full rebel mode, right? Nothing their parents say will stick. They're acting out in school. Um, you know, that is the projected form, right? On the other side of the polarity, we might have like 
total aversion to everything. They're kind of going into hermit mode. They're not responsive. They're not generating any activity. They're playing video games all the time. Um, there's physical markers like physical puberty. Again, the hormone shifts do tend to correspond or correlate with a readiness. And that's not everything either. There's a psychological component, um, a maturity component of being willing and ready to look at oneself, honestly. I mean, that takes a lot of courage, right? It's like looking at yourself in the mirror is, in a spiritual sense is not something that you can do without some awareness of how you show up in the world, of what your ego is. And, you know, there, there's a, a need to be at least one step into that pond before you can really take the full leap. So, um, I really actually, I love the process of, of feeling that out with participants and their parents. Um, it's probably one of my favorite parts of the work. That's not, you know, the actual nature based part of the, the rite of passage, because it's really human development. I mean, you get to build a story and you get to hear about the lives of these, these young men. And for me, like I'm a, I'm an analyzer, right? So I'm constantly looking at patterns and being like, Oh, okay. That's something that I you know would have expected to see or, dad's not in the picture or, um, you know, whatever the, whatever the things is without stereotyping too much and just kind of taking note and being like, okay, got it. Um, so we build a story together and we really get an idea of readiness. And then once readiness is established, it's kind of like, okay, great. So how are we going to adapt our program design to be everything that this boy needs? How are we going to let them create the experience that they need to have so they can step into this next phase of their life with some power? So, so do you actually have a formal screening process that you typically go through to determine that, that readiness? We do. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a questionnaire and it's not, I mean, the questionnaire gets really lame answers. Um, I I mean, like literally, like you ask, like for me, which would be the best like counsel question ever. And you'll get like a one word, like fine or something. (laughs) Great. Thank you. Um, which says a lot. And that, I mean, there's more to the message than what's written, right, right. Uh, but then a phone call happens. And if not enough is, you know, <clears throat> coming through that piece, then hopefully if they're local, we can meet in person and try to figure something out. Mm-hmm. Um, the nice thing about working in this community is that there's a, people know me now and they, you know, I grew up here, so I know a lot of the folks here and um, parents here at least are really good about, they, they know their kids, even if they don't really know how to provide what they need they still have a good understanding of them. So just for instance, the last few conversations I've had um, have given me great confidence that the parents actually, you know, have a good idea that they are not able to provide exactly what their son needs right now. And they're ready for someone else to step in. And so that's beautiful too. You know, the village model of raising children is something that is part of my vision for this new world of taking the weight off the parents. So many parents today are like, oh my God, like I just can't do it all. And my response to a lot of folks is like, yeah, it's because you're not supposed to, you right. know, like take your hands off. Like it's, it's not your job to do everything for your children until they're 18. They need mentors. They need other adults in their lives to be able to share knowledge with them or just share experience, right. To be able to receive some of your child's gifts too. Um, I think the funniest thing sometimes when I have like a mom, um, when I was coaching lacrosse in California, I remember <clears throat> one of my players' moms came up to me and being like, how did you get Spencer to drink tea? <laughs> I was like, what are you talking about? It's like, I've been trying to get him to eat healthier, like, you know, since he was a little kid, he won't listen to anything that I say. And then he comes back from lacrosse practice the other day and he's like, mom, can you buy us some organic green tea? You know, and she was like frustrated and confused and curious at the same time. And that's the power of the mentor is like, you don't even have to try. If there's a natural mentorship fit, the things that are said and the experiences that are had will immediately result in change in healthy growth. 
Um, and the parents can just drill it. And the kid will be like, nah, not for me, right? Shut up, mom. I'm done with you too much. And then someone else can say the same thing and it will stick and it will land and it will be meaningful. And that's, that's like the most, that's like the most proof that I need about the need for this work. Yeah. It's the natural catalyst versus no, you got to do it this way. And that just gets natural resistance. Mm-hmm. Right. The path of least resistance, man. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. So, now, speaking of which, I was actually, you know, very curious about that nature component of that. Uh, you know, the how nature is the best teacher. Mm-hmm. I would love for you to talk a little bit more about that because I've always felt the same way. You know, our connection with nature, with the natural world, can be so powerful, and especially exposed to that. So, I, I'd love to hear your thoughts and just let you go go crazy with that. Yeah. Thanks. Um, I'm going to paraphrase a quote that, that kind of sums up my feelings about it, but most of the ailments of the modern world are because human thinking has strayed from the way nature works. So the box analogy comes up, right? We love boxes and try to put everything in boxes and nature tends to work in circles and spirals most of the time. So <clears throat> we look to nature to do a lot of our work for us. We have self-reflective time, sit spots, just literally intentionally creating a space for a young person to sit next to a tree and listen for an hour. Uh, For a lot of young people, that feels like an eternity. And they come back with a story. They could tell a story about that one hour that would last three hours. That's what happens when you step into Kairos, right? You step out of Kronos and you step into the eternal space and nature is that place for us. I mean, human beings, in my opinion, like we're part of nature. We are part of the imagination of, of nature kind of creating itself over again. And it's easy to forget the way our modern lifestyles are structured. And so now, we don't call ourselves a wilderness-based rite of passage organization because we don't take boys into like backpacking trips, like deep into the wilderness for the whole time. We are in a nature, we're in a natural place. We're um, actually here on Bash on Base Camp for most of the time, and we use we use elements from nature to to uh, facilitate our programs. So one of the things that I I think I want to speak to is just looking at life as a wheel. Right. We we in Western society tend to look at things linearly like, oh, you're born and then you have a journey and then you die. And you don't really talk about the other phases or anything. Mm-hmm. And a lot of indigenous cultures, they use a medicine wheel or some other calendar system that kind of integrates life through cycles. And we can look at a day through the same lens by saying, OK, the sun rises in the east and then at high noon um, and then we have sunset and then there's midnight and then it restarts again or through a year springtime awakening and then we have summer high noon and fall and then wintertime stillness and all of these different elements are super useful for human development work and looking at how we change over time and also how we change through a given day how we show up in relationships Um, and it's actually really accessible for young people so that's I think my favorite thing about it is that we don't have to teach some complex theory we don't have to um, spend a bunch of time spouting what sounds like religious dogma in any ways. We're like, no, we're just outside. And especially for young men, we're like, yeah, we're going to do some primitive skills. You're going to learn to make fire with sticks. We're going to build a fort and you're going to carve some stuff out of wood. Right. And those are all like, they're like, yeah, cool. That's manly, like whatever. And so they're in and what they don't realize is like under the surface, they're actually connecting with themselves. They're connecting with a part of themselves that's way bigger than they even realize. And, you know, we believe these seeds that we're planting later are going to translate into ecological awareness, people that are willing to show up um, and, you know, protect earth in a meaningful way and, and live in a lifestyle that's going to be in harmony with nature because they love it and they appreciate it. 
Cool. So it's not some survivalist rite of passage, throw the kids to the wolves and see if they make it back out to safety. It's much more of a supportive, lesson-based thing. And, and just, well, we're, we're outside, more of a yeah. sense. Yeah, the nature piece is really not that extreme. I mean, we, do, we prepare our boys to do 24 hours a solo vigil in nature. And so they will spend a full day and night alone, and we will train them for that. But it's not about it's not extreme except for the fact that they are present with themselves in a way that they've probably never been for a full day and night. And that night is ruthless. I mean, the stories that come back from that experience for the young men is like, oh my God, like it's clear how important that is. So it's extreme on the inner nature piece. And the outer nature piece is really just doing what it always does. Hmm. Nature. It's showing up the way it always will. Cool. And and what what's the length of of that kind of base program? Ten days. Oh, nice. Yeah, so we start on a Friday, we go through the weekend, the next week, and then it ends on the Sunday. Mm-hmm. And you were mentioning before the show started that it's this is all during the summer months, right? Yeah, so our vision for this is to grow and be year-round and have options that are you know in different locations. Um, but for this first year, we're, we have two camps scheduled for the summer, and um, Arna's programs are in the springtime, so it's kind of like you know the prep for those things will be the mini weekend event. Um, Climate is prohibitive for this kind of stuff too. Is like, you know, I, I wouldn't feel confident sending boys out for a 24 hour solo vigil in the middle of winter up here. Um, mm, right. That's more extreme, like survivalist type shit. And yeah, something our insurance company would be very happy about, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. <clears throat> cool. So the, so the vision with programs is to be year round and in different locations all over the world then? Yeah. Um, I don't want to go too big, but my, our vision is big. I mean, we've, we've, looked to this to be something that's scalable and deplor- deployable in different communities. Um, and so, you know, having, having regional base camp set up um, are, is something that's in our vision. And th- I, I think what really sets us apart from some of the other organizations who are doing similar work is that um, following the three-stage model of initiation. So for anyone who's studied this or passionate, I really recommend getting into kind of the, the origins of study of initiation in traditional and modern cultures. There is the separation, severance, stage one. There's a threshold time or the sacred time, uh, which is stage two. And then there's integration, stage three, bringing it home, as we like to call it. And uh, it's so important to focus on stage three today. I mean, there's so many, like, there's, I think we can all agree, there's no shortage of peak experiences, right? Music festivals or even like a lot of these programs, like go backpacking and go travel and these other things. Um, and then people get home and they go back into the same patterns. They don't have a community of people who recognize, understand, and are willing to support them when it matters, which is like when they're in their daily life and they're you know, making decisions and establishing new relationships and new patterns and new belief systems. So we, uh, we provide our participants basically uh, a year of ongoing support with meetups twice a month. Um, we have a relationship with the high school here and the middle school to do ongoing talking circles and to be, you know, present in the school so we can meet the kids where they are, be accessible. And this is a ton of work. I mean, it's like, it's quite literally requiring everything from me and my co-founder, Alex, right now. So it requires men that are like really passionate about this to do this in some way, at first at least. And then again, the vision is that eventually a lot of people will and are already are choosing to show up because it's healing them to be a mentor. They're realizing like, Oh my God, like just sitting with young people or sitting with other men in this way or people is like tremendously healing for me on an individual level. And then they see the effect on a social cultural level. 
and they're like, yeah, I want to do this. So it's building an awareness um, around the, I think the value piece for it. And we, you know, we really want the summer camp experience that, that we do, we call it the quest, right? The 10 day experience to kind of be the culmination for boys to be able to come and, and participate through that. Um, and then actually this is kind of fun too. Part of our vision is to, to develop um, an online course for teens. So we know how technology shows up for young people these days. It's highly addictive and consumptive a lot of the time. And we also know that video games are very popular and it's a great way to reach people uh, because everyone's connected, right? Mm-hmm. So Alex and I just had a, a team meeting and we're super excited about the prospect of um, rolling out like a, an online, like a six week mini journey for young men to do online to kind of bring them into this story about like claiming manhood and claiming something bigger for themselves and using that as an intro to the work to get them excited about showing up locally in some program that they have access to. And then at some point participating in the work, you know, either through us or through an organization that's more um, local to them to really do the in-person piece and to start stepping into that as well. So that's, I mean, that's like big vision stuff. And that's something that we've looked at from the beginning is like, man, what are the, you know, what are the limits of this? If we can bring it online and make it, you know, make it essentially what it could be, which is just an online accessible young male initiation program. Wow. And you can really get, I mean, I get it's not there yet, but in your vision, it's possible to get all three stages of that initiation experience accomplished online? Or is it to lead them into a part of it that's in person and some next step? I think it's, yeah. And it's important to frame it. Um, for me, I want to use the word realistically. And I think for me, the, the real, the real accomplishment of that would be that they go through stage one, that they can create a separation or in my opinion, once you have an understanding of the culture and the family dynamics that you're in, then you can separate from it. Then you have this objective view of like, Oh, my family still treats me like a boy because I act like a boy or, you know, I show up this way because of this. So creating that awareness and and really having the course have an intention to bring the boy into a readiness for the threshold and then looking at the camp as really like the threshold time in their journey. And then when they get home from the camp, that's really like the integration time. That's really kind of, I I think the structure that's been sitting with me through this time. Cool. Yeah. So that's the long version is more of this long introduction, pulling them in, seeing the benefit, giving a sense, know that there's more, however they've been perhaps experiencing themselves or their life isn't the only way. Right. 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 Well, Recognizing that they have community too, because mm-hmm. the isolation piece is huge. I mean, like it's not just a male thing and it tends to be pretty strong with, with males who tend to report that they struggle more connecting or communicating about their emotions. So creating an online forum where there's other young people from around the country, around the world. And they're like, Hey, I'm struggling too. And yeah, I don't really have anyone to talk to. So that support piece cultivates like a, like a loosening, a softening really. And then we can bring that into the threshold time and have a really meaningful experience as well. Cool. Yeah. So I, I don't know if this is, this might not be answerable, but if you could imagine yourself that you had discovered this at a younger age and you had taken the quest, would you uh, have felt like a man before 24? Yeah. yeah, I think so. And that's just, I can speak because um, the materials that we've, accumulated uh, to develop our program are pulling from every like every angle right now we've you know we've as you've mentioned like this manifestor part of me and my my partner is actually an incredible outreacher and just connection maker 
uh, we've, we've just assembled this wealth of knowledge about what works and what's perfect for this age of this community, this, this structure. And so, yeah, I feel like stepping out of this program, even at like 16, I, I would have had the, the tools that I needed to just start stepping into manhood at that age and probably save myself and quite a few other folks a lot of pain and repeating of the same decision in a slightly different manner. But, but, but then you wouldn't have created this. So that's right. No we need that. you to be a mess so that you could create a better way for other people, right? That's right. And I, I, I say that jokingly, but that's what, that's when I look back at the mess that I've lived for many years, I like, Oh good. Well, it, but it resulted in these good things. So I say, I say the same thing. In fact, uh, I think it's uh Harv Ecker who says every master was once a disaster. Right. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and on that same token, is like I feel like the, my deepest wounds are so tightly related to my my gold, right? And MKP speak my gifts. My gifts are so yeah. close to my wounds, yeah. and when I when I go there and when I kind of work with that, especially when I'm facilitating, and I, I recognize that hey, like when I show up authentically and when it gets real, like when that when that moment to bring it out is there, those are the like those are the moments that are the most impactful. Like when, yeah. especially when young people get to see you in your wounded place, being super authentic and being like, here's my story. That has a million times more uh, lasting effect than spouting a lecture or knowledge or content or here, check out this theory or statistics show this, like that gets flushed down the toilet. And they're like, yo, give me some of that real juicy story again. Like, tell me when you got hurt. Tell me when you hurt that person. That's what I want to hear about because that's what my life feels like right now. Yeah, because a, a perfectly plastic mentor isn't as helpful as yeah someone willing to show that no like i you know i feel like you did right now but you can also feel better but it's still there and yeah Mm. here's here's all of it here's the feelings here's here's the completeness me as a human being willing to show up and feel the way through it you know that's one of the things i've noticed that tends to allow most of us as human beings to connect is we connect on that emotional level. We connect on that feeling level. I mean, you can, as you said, Nikki, we can spout, you know, statistics and studies and everything until, you know, we're blue in the face. But ultimately, it boils down to what we feel, what we connect with on a deeply emotional level. Yeah. Yeah, yeah we, we long for that on a human level, I believe. We just long for that real connection. And it's 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 okay if there's pain you know yeah. I, I feel like such a tight correlation with pleasure and pain and just to accept it all to live with an open heart you know yeah. oh man but then we're, we're so taught not to do that right put those feelings back in the box and what are you what are you doing being vulnerable or authentic or showing any emotion yeah you want to get beaten up here do these drugs hide, hide those feelings right it's all all this crap go numb yeah yeah exactly the numb Oof. Well, I could get on a soapbox about that one, but yeah. <laughs> so, so, so far, are, are most of your, uh, the, the boys you're working with, is it, is it mostly Washington State or is, is your, uh, is, are, you, are the actions catching up with the vision already as far as your, the reach you want to have? Yeah, all of our interest is local so far. Um, we have a couple signups from the island, which is super exciting. Our dream is to really create like a community-based program so that, you know, a cohort, right, a group of boys would go through the program and they'd all go to the same school or at least have, you know, live in the same general area. I think that sets the stage for the most, um, just the easiest integration piece afterwards sure. because they have access to each other. Yeah. 
So it's almost like if you had like a, a little league team that went through the quests together and you became this group for, for the rest of your days. And as long oh as my God. Yeah. that would be the best little league team. Ever. <laughs> I'm <gonna bat. laughs> right. Uh, we talked about that doing like sports intensives too, for teams who, you know, select sports teams or even just high school teams. They want to do a bonding experience doing a mini camp because I mean, what emerges from this? I mean, a lot of corporate uh, companies, like companies are realizing this too. They do these like transformational retreats for senior staff and the directors and stuff. And they come back and they're like, you know, a different group. All of a yeah. sudden they have, um, you know, strong connections. They trust each other. They're willing to take, there's a term I like creative risks, right? When you have trust in a container, you take creative risks together and then you start creating things that have quite literally never been on the table before. Mm -hmm. So yeah, most of our boys are local. We have a few dropping in for the April programs from the Seattle and Tacoma areas. Mm -hmm. So another benefit of living where we do is we are sandwiched between the two biggest cities in Washington, right in Puget Sound. So a 15 minute boat ride on either side gets you into Seattle or Tacoma. And when you're here, you feel like you're in a different world. So um, we're accessible and we're also kind of separate. It's kind of this nice little, nice little uh, uh, paradox. In the middle of nowhere, but the center of it all. That's right. Yep. <laughs> cool. So you, so you mentioned your partner, Alex, a couple of times. So um, like, did you kind of just meet somewhere along your journey? Is it just a, a business relationship? Like how, how did it all come together? Ah, oh, what a good question. <laughs> Alex and I were doing all of the stupid shit together when we were growing up here. Um, he moved here, I think, in first grade, and like we bonded pretty early. I don't think we were in the same class for a couple years, but we were good friends in middle school, and then in high school, we became you know nearly inseparable. Um, had a you know pretty large group of friends, but um, we were you know we played lacrosse together. We were super committed to the sport, and we had a lot of the same friends, a lot of the same interests. Um, we loved to take risks together. We did a lot of those kind of adolescent things together, driving really fast and finding ways to, you know, seek out the extreme in, in the mundane activities. We went to college together for a year. Um, and we both ended up not liking the school. So we transferred, we separated paths at that point. And, um, Alex has a, uh, he, he's an MAT, he's a teacher and he has a background in, as a mentor and, and youth coach as well for a lot of years. And my background is similar, except educationally, I have a business degree, um, which is actually proven to be super helpful in this in this endeavor. Uh, when people meet me, they're like, so did you go to school? I'm like, yeah, I have an MBA. And they're like, what? That's not the right box we're trying to put you in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, you know, Alex's educational experience and is also like his personal style of showing up complements mine so well. We are just such a dynamic team together. And, you know, just a couple of days, we sometimes have these moments where we're like, this would not be possible with anyone else. You know, we both kind of have this realization that the, the, the organization is emerging through us, through the two of us together. Mm -hmm. um, and it seeded, I think he was in Germany. He was teaching um, in Germany for a couple of years. And I was having these like really wild, I call them like channeling sessions, but I was just like writing and like staying up like all night and like kind of laying out the framework for this organization and it looked different at that time but I sent it to him it was in a google doc it was like right when google docs came out I think I sent it to him and he got in touch with me he was like dude let's do this like now you know and he has that tendency to initiate me and I was like whoa we can't do this right now like this is an idea and he's like no man this is like groundbreaking we should do this and he was so encouraging of that and I was so resistant I was like man we gotta wait we gotta like right? That critic, like, no, we're not good enough yet. We need to do all the other things first. And I'm glad we waited, but I'm also glad that he's kind of stayed on it the whole time. He's like, nah, now is the time. Now is the time. And 
now is the time. He was right. Yeah. Here we are. <laughs> Next shout out to Alex, who has actually joined us. So thanks yeah. for being here, Alex. Thank you, brother. <laughs> cool. So, so we've talked about the, the vision and really, really want to see yourself. And so um, is, the, is there a, is there like a concrete kind of vision for journey or a mission or, you know, but like, is there, is there a one like culminating, I don't even know what I want to say. Point of arrival or is it just going yeah, to I'm just, I get, I don't know, I'm, catchphrase is like the weirdest term I have in my head right now, but just like, what, I feel like there's the, you know, like a mantra that like, oh, that's, you keep going back to and, and mm -hmm. that keeps you moving. And I can throw some out and see, we'll see what kind of makes sense. Our vision is written as to regenerate modern society through the inspiration of young men. Um, that's the vision and that's not something that we can do alone, but that's what, that's what we're going to see someday. We're going to mm -hmm. see young men stepping into their power, being an ally to women, being an ally to themselves an ally to other genders and groups and really using what's afforded to us in a culture that tends to put us on a pedestal to empower the world, right? It's like, yeah, we don't have to feel guilty for these things. We can actually just use it to change it. Like, wow, that's a great thing to realize. Right. Um, so that's a vision. And then part of our mission statement is, um, Let's see, through nature-based rites of passage and long-term mentorship, we cultivate transformational experiences for boys and young men to discover, amplify, and refine their authentic selves. Um, it's really about allowing the unique genius of young people to emerge. There's a very little teaching, right? So people are like, what do you teach in your programs? I'm like, I don't, I can't even answer that. You know, we do the nature-based model. So we're like, yeah, we teach that the sun comes up and goes down, but we don't, it's not like they don't know that already. <laughs> it's just kind of point to things and we notice what's going on already. So a lot of the work, uh, and Andy, I'm sure anyone who's worked in MKP in any capacity can realize like the power of mirroring. A lot of what we do is reflecting and creating reflective environments and that's nature or in group setting and council. So the act of mirroring either intentionally or through program design is where this work really shines for us. It's allowing young people to see themselves to, you know, and then support them in, in their awareness as well. Yeah. And as, as, uh, like in, in my work with clients, with groups, yeah, awareness. Like I've never been able to change anything in my life without first having awareness of it. So I love it. So to me, it feels like, it, you know, it's a more uh, an environment of allowing as opposed to teaching. Like it, it just, it, you mentioned like making that space to, to explore, to have new experiences, to, to be married, to discover that, wow, here's a circle of strangers that we're not all that strangely different. And, yeah. yeah. You know, I have to add something to that as far as, you know, one of the things that really resonated and that really stood out with me in your vision statement with regard to regenerating society, it's not like we're trying to rebuild or change or anything like that. We're regenerating, which is exactly what we do in a natural sense. You know, that our cells are constantly regenerating. Our bodies are constantly regenerating. So the fact that you use that word just really, really struck a chord with me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thanks for naming that. It's, yeah. it, it lends itself to natural cycles and, Mm -hmm. you know, part of my studies too in indigenous cultures, they looked to the youth rites of passage as a way to regenerate their society, their culture. I mean, mm -hmm. it's something that I think it actually might be the single biggest ailment that we're experiencing on a culture level is that we don't really give youth a platform anymore. We, yeah. I mean, that old Victorian area, like to be seen and not heard, unfortunately, is still kind of lingering in us yeah. and we might not yeah. say it anymore. But we, we fill their heads with a lot of stuff and we don't really like 
cultivate their imaginative power because God, they're so much closer to that than we are as adults. And we don't need to demonize ourselves, but let's just like, Hey, young people, like what's your vision for the world? You know, what do you want to see this different? Like, what do you care about? Um, and yeah. you know, traditional cultures recognize the value in that. They didn't just send youth and these experiences or cultivate their rite of passage for them, but it was for the village. So when they came back, they came back with vision, right? The vision quest, yeah. not like a vision, like I tripped out, but vision, big vision for the future. Bring that back to the community and let's harvest that, right? Let's talk yes. about how we're going to then regenerate our society to be in alignment with the changing world. And the youth are that next generation. Yeah. Yeah, it seems like in 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 Western world and in the U.S. specifically that our generations get labeled and it's all we're better and that you know the next generation is worse and no you guys have messed it up and it's we have to fix this. It's all this generational battle as opposed to coming together and you know welcoming and mirroring and supporting. Mm-hmm. And, and unless it's like a big election year, then then the youth vote matters and everyone tries to pretend that they're you know, young and hip and. Right. Uh, so true. Yeah, you know, it's, uh, those those labels are getting tossed around in my work all the time. And I mean, I'm technically I'm a Gen Xer working with a bunch of millennials, and yeah. you know, it, it, for me, it's a fantastic dynamic. I absolutely love it because I'm like, well, you know, if you want to assign labels and so forth, really, I'm I have a I have a millennial mind, but just in a Gen X body. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love that. Um, you know, there's one thing that actually stood out um, again, that, you know, when you were talking about the whole process of bringing, you know, the vision quest and bringing it back and helping it to, you know, society as a general thing, you know, that I think one of the, the big challenges that we as our society face, not having, not youth, not having a platform is that we have a, we have an educational system that's, that was built again, going back to what you were talking about in the Victorian times that was designed to churn out workers for factories and it has not evolved. And we have a lot of knowledge and there's a lot of good, you know, there's a lot of things that's there, but just the structure of being able to teach our youth really just kind of boils down to, again, putting them in the box, keeping them, not listening to them, not hearing. So all of that was coming to me and thinking how, mm-hmm. how wonderful. I am so excited to see what comes of Journeyman, to see how that's going to regenerate our society. Super, super excited. Thank you. Yeah, on some levels, it's it's kind of daunting because there's no bigger threat to industrial growth society than people who are like, I don't really want to do that. <laughs> like, like, I don't want to go through this scripted lifestyle that essentially is destroying the earth, whether I'm aware of it or not. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's threatening and it's uncomfortable for a lot of people to address. And um, it's going to happen whether we like it or not. We're either mm-hmm. going to intentionally kind of take ourselves out of this, this, uh, I'll call it the unconscious resource hoarding of earth and into a state where we enter into harmony with things because otherwise we'll just go away. We won't be a thing anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, the last thing that we mine will be us. Right? That's right. Mm-hmm. But, all right. Let's end on a better note. Um, <laughs> so, so, ever since, so I, I discovered the mankind project la- just last year, last October, I went through new year training and just, wow, just last month I did my first staffing and I've kind of said to people, you know, ever since discovering it that, well, if I was king, every man would have to go through that new warrior training adventure weekend. And I'm now glad to add to that, that, you know, when and if I'm king, whatever future land of magical realm that might be, I would, uh, you know, all teenagers just get sent to journeymen and and go through the quest. God, that is great to hear, man. Thank you, Andy. And yeah, my journey with MKP is pretty similar. I did my 
weekend in November. I'm staffing. Actually, I leave tomorrow to do my first staffing too. Ah. So excited and kind of scared shitless too. I just <laughs> yeah. Isn't that, about it. <laughs> isn't that the best feeling though? Yeah. Like at, like at some age, I thought that was horrible. That I'm, I, you know, I've done there enough. Like, oh, when I'm when I've signed up for something or I'm scared to do it, I'm like, oh, that I now I, this is going to be freaking good because I'm <laughs> so petrified to go to this. You know? And I'll be doing my first one this October, so I'm I'm excited. Yeah. I'm super excited. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, I I I'm just really honored to hear that, Andy. And um, I would say I'd vote for you as king, but I don't think of how it works with kings. I think claim it. We'll point you instead. Yeah, you know, I've been going through you know lakes and rivers looking for swords and stuck in them and stuff, but nothing yet. But. <laughs> cool. So I uh, it is really a pleasure to get to know you and and the work more. And yeah, we're gonna. I look forward to you returning to talk yeah. about the successful first summer program and and the expansions and and everything else you got going on. Um, Me too. Really wish you and Alex nothing but the best. I think this is so so needed. And uh, yeah, you're you're the freaking dynamic duo, duo that are that have the manifesting, have the vision, have the energy to to pull it off. Man, you really do. Yeah. Thanks for seeing us. And thanks for, you know, giving us a platform and giving yourselves a platform, creating a, creating really the spaces for men to show up as themselves and for making that the new normal. I mean, we all know how much this is needed. Just this dialogue, this authentic heart sharing and connecting with each other, sharing love and support, man. I'm a huge fan of what you guys got going on. And I so appreciate just being invited and being a part of this. Beautiful. Thank you. I I really feel that, and I love hearing the same themes from from our old old Gen X bodies and ages down to your age and down to the kids that you're working with. Um, that it's about authenticity and willing to feel, and uh, maybe we'll have an offshoot of like you know real teens feel. I don't know, or maybe it's just <laughs> it's there and it's natural. They don't need a show, right? Right. Cool. So yeah, uh, yeah. thanks again, Apio. Do you want to add anything? Other than you know just just a plus one to everything that's been said and just you know to you know props to to everything that you guys are doing as well i'm super excited to have a front row seat mm. awesome thank you so real men feel will be live again next tuesday april 11th at 8 p.m eastern when massmen.org outreach director and grief coach franklin cook who uh was on an early show about a year ago but he's joining us again we're going to be looking at the implications of an export expert report that really came out um, called Preventing Suicide Among Men in the Middle Years. And i got to be honest, as, as a man in my middle years with a history of suicide attempts, I'm not sure if I'm looking forward to this show or not, but, uh, <laughs> but we're going to do it anyway, all right? But, uh, so thanks again, Nikki. Thanks, Alex. Thanks to the other people that have been here, here live. Thank you, Appy, of course. Um, everyone for listening in. Check out journeymen.us for more about the program, how to support it, how to get involved. Visit realmenfeel.org to learn about our future and past calls. Um, schedule a free clarity call with me if you want some help to dig through your crap. And uh, whatever you do, we'll all talk to you again soon. Have a great night, folks. Be well. Thank you for listening to Real Men Feel. Until next time, visit realmenfeel.org, join the Real Men Feel group on Facebook, and share what you thought of this show. Please give this podcast a review on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you are discovering Real Men Feel. Reach out to us at realmenfeel at gmail.com. Learn more about Andy Grant at theandygrant.com and Apio Hunter at apiohunter.com.